Uh, this week we have a very special guest preacher named Pastor Tim Spiegelberg. He's a great friend of mine and has moved down here from Toronto. He'll explain that in his sermon. He's going to talk about how God is the one who does care about us and calms the storms that are going on in our own life. And as we look to an uncertain future, he is the one that is going to give us assurance. This sermon was originally recorded at Castle Rock Middle School on May 25th, 2014. Grace, mercy, and peace be yours, dear brothers and sisters in Christ. It is my distinct honor and privilege to be here with you today. Uh, you heard just a little bit about where I come from. If you heard, the kids were pretty sure they knew where Canada was. Up, I think, not down. So, uh, so that, that's where we come from. We had a church in Toronto, Ontario, Canada for the last five and a half years. And uh, just recently, as in about a month ago today, uh, we landed here in Colorado. So we've been called to be exploratory missionaries uh, to the region of Carbon Valley, uh, which is north of Denver, and we live in a city called Firestone. You know where that's at? People know where Firestone's at? Not really? Okay. So go, okay. So go up, go up I-25. I'm still learning my interstates and stuff. Go up I-25, and don't go west towards Longmont, but go east, and you'll hit Firestone. So that's, that's where we're living right now. So. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's our, my distinct privilege and honor to be here with you this morning to deliver God's word to you. Um, <clears throat> Honestly, I didn't have anything in my sermon about the fact that Jared and I have known each other for a long, long time, uh, and that we're good friends, and that we have lots of stories about each other. And I purposely didn't put any of that in my sermon, because I thought, that's not real professional, like that's not what guys do when they grow up, and things like that. Um, but, he, but he brought some stuff up. So all I'm going to say at the beginning, so he kind of started... Um, all I'm going to say is, is that we were male cheerleaders together. I'm just going to let that simmer and percolate, and you as his members are welcome to ask him if you want or not, so we're, we'll leave that be. So, um, yeah, so anyway, we, we go way back, and uh, he's a good, dear friend. So, uh, yeah, today I, I, was, I was asked to, to preach for you, and, and kind of the idea of a mission theme came up. That's what we're going to be doing up in Carbon Valley, trying to start a church and I thought, uh, maybe unlike a lot of the churches that I'm going to go preach to, you folks actually probably have a more intimate, uh, on-the-ground knowledge of what it takes to start a church, right? Um, and, and so I think maybe today it, it even has more application for you than maybe it would for others. Uh, you've been there, right? Uh, Eternal Rock is how old now? Three years. Three years, right? So three years old, right? And, and you've kind of mapped out where you've gone, and maybe some of you that are sitting here can remember back when Eternal Rock was starting, and I see some nods of the head like, oh yeah, I remember that, right? And, and so I think better than most, you probably have a real vivid picture of how God brought you from there to where you're at here this morning, and we are back there still. Uh, that's what we're trying to do in Carbon Valley, what you did three years ago. So in all honesty, if you have tips or hints, or watch out for this, or I'm really glad we did that, after the service, just grab me and say, uh, here, here's, some, here's some tips, because we, we would appreciate them. So, um, but that's where we're at, at least for us and for our family. Uh, we are on the, the precipice of mapping out what we're going to do up in Carbon Valley. But that's sometimes a, a kind of a nerve-wracking place to be. In fact, I would guess that any of us, no matter what we're doing, we don't necessarily like being on the precipice of the unknown, 
right? And that happens in a lot of different ways, so it's not just a pastor that's starting a new, a new church, but it's for all of you as well, right? Anytime that you're going into something new, anytime that your life changes, anytime that you can't see maybe the next year or year after that, it, it causes some worry, doesn't it? On average, how many times do people move in their lifetime? This is your quiz. You can answer. My, you can't, you're my wife. You can't answer. Six is wrong. <laughs> no, yeah, six is wrong. So how, how many times in your life, on average, <laughs> do you think you move? Do Americans move? More than eight, four, ten, actually. Ten. That's an average. Now, some of you are sitting there going, well, I've, only, I've never moved once, right? But that's the average. Ten moves in your life, right? Ten times where you pick up and go to a new place and you say, okay, what's tomorrow going to bring, right? Guess how often you change jobs on average? Any guesses on that? Someone say six? 72. No, <laughs> incorrect. You got fired a lot. So, <laughs> so 4.4. Uh, so 4.4, that's the average, once again, uh, of how many jobs you'll have in your life. Now, those of you that are millennials that were born 1982 or later, uh, you, your job expectancy is actually less than three years at any current job. Did you know that? So millennials move even more and change jobs even more. And each time that we move, whether that's physically to a new place or whether that's a new job, I think a lot of, of worries and concerns come up, right? Because we can't see what comes next, and we want to be able to see what comes next. That's the human condition, isn't it? We want to know what God has planned for us next. You saw the Old Testament reading. That was there for a purpose because God knows what comes next even though we don't always, right? Now, there was a really fun time in our world history called the Age of Discovery around 1400 to 1600 uh, when I think it would have been really, really fun to have lived. Lots of adventure, lots of discovery, mapping out new places and new worlds, and uh, I, I, all I can picture is that we all, if we lived at that time, probably looked a little bit like Kira Knightley and Johnny Depp from Pirates of the Caribbean. Like that's, at least in my own head, like I'm thinking, yeah, I probably look just like Johnny Depp and it's like all adventure and stuff, and, right? So age of discovery, new worlds being opened, new continents being opened, uh, finding and mapping new places that had never be, been seen before. Um, now that sounds exciting, except there's another side to that, isn't there? There was scurvy and death um, and drowning and piracy and all of that as well, wasn't there? So, so during that time, uh, it was a good time, I guess, to be an adventurer, but it was also a good time to be a map maker or a cartographer. All I can picture is that cartographers were kind of the nerdy guys on the boats, like writing stuff down, and pirates are like swinging around, around the stern, and the cartographer is like just mapping stuff out, right? So a lot of really cool maps came out of that time. I, I brought a few along for you here. Now, I know they're a little bit hard to see. This is called the Carta Marina. Uh, it's a map that was, that was drawn, that was painted during that age of discovery. Okay, I'm going to keep clicking through. Now, what's interesting um, <clears throat> is that in these maps, they didn't know where they were headed, right? It, it was all new. They knew that something was probably out there. They didn't know quite that the world was as big as it was. And so they would map out what they knew, and you can kind of see the land on the side. And then I'm going to keep going through here. But in the places where they could not see, in the places where they did not know, 
they would draw creatures like this. I don't know what that is. Some kind of alien fish, right? Here's another one. There's a good one. It's like a double spout fish, right? We've never seen one of those, right? So in the places that they didn't know, on the periphery of their map, so they said, okay, we know the UK. We know this is where we live. We know where there's land and there's rivers and stuff, but we don't know what's out beyond that. We're just going to draw things like this because it's scary, because we don't know what's out there, right? And so a lot of the maps, they would write things like, here be dragons, here be scorpions, right? And and all kinds of mystical, mythical creatures on the periphery because for us as humans, when we don't know what we're looking at, whether that's into the future or even physically on a map, it's frightening, isn't it? It's scary. It's unnerving, right? I love, I love some of these animals. So, um, and so on the edges of their maps, and you can go home and you can Google it and find lots of really wonderful, crazy pictures, they always had dragons and scorpions and mystical creatures that embodied the parts of our lives that we didn't know or didn't have control over. Okay? Now, that was how they dealt with the unknown. That was how they dealt with fear, right? Well, today, we're going to talk about uh, Jesus and his disciples, and the disciples had some fears that Jesus addresses. Um, It comes from the Gospel of Mark, and before we get into our text, though, um, I just want to set the scene a little bit. So, this is early in Jesus' ministry in the Gospel of Mark. his popularity was rising. People wanted to see him. He was healing. Uh, he, was, he was walking around all over Galilee. He's in the region of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, he had picked his disciples, his 12 disciples, who were, uh, interestingly enough, were sailors. So I don't know if their maps looked like these, right? But they knew something about exploration and adventure and also fear of the unknown, right? So this is early in Jesus' ministry in the book of Mark. And he's giving them some lessons. You might say that he's kind of setting a vision for them as Christians and as the Christian church and as believers, right? So he's setting some ground rules to say, this is what we're going to be about as followers of me. This is what we are going to be about as we bring the message of sins forgiven into all the world. And now you close in, and maybe at that time the disciples couldn't imagine that this message was going to go into all the world the whole Mediterranean, all the way to Castle Rock, Colorado at some point, right? But Jesus said, I'm going to set some foundational things. This is what we're going to be about. And so when you go home tonight, open up the book of Mark and look at Mark chapter 4 and look at the parables or stories that Jesus tells leading up to our text for today. And he tells four different ones. And they're, they're really wonderful lessons for us as Christians. And they were vision-setting lessons for Jesus and his disciples. The first one was the, the farmer sowing the seed, right, where the seed falls on four different types of soil. Some of it grows, some grows quickly, gets choked out, some of it doesn't grow at all. Some lands on good soil and grows up strong, right? Now, the point of the parable was the seed grows. We're, we're meant to cast it, to share the good news, to tell others that sins are forgiven and God is responsible for the growing, right? The second one was uh, uh, the idea of a lamp or the illustration of a lamp, right? And Jesus says, you don't light a lamp and then put it underneath your bed or put it under, uh, under a bowl, right? You let the light shine so that everybody can see it. And the same idea, right, that we as Christians are to live our lives in such a way that others, that those who don't know Jesus, who are lost, will look to us and say, there's something about them, about how they live, about how they act, about how they treat one another, about what they do on a Sunday morning, right? So Jesus says, don't put your light under a bowl. Don't hide it. 
go into our world and, and share it, okay? Uh, the third one was just the growing seed, where Jesus just talks about a farmer goes out and scatters seed, and he doesn't worry about it. The seed does what the seed's supposed to do. When it has light and soil, it will grow, right? God says, you don't worry about it. I'll take care of the growth. The last one is the parable of the mustard seed, where even a small seed, right, will grow and create incredible things. So, that's by way of introduction to our text today. And those are all really incredible parts of Scripture. And you might be thinking those would be really good things to preach on if you were starting a new church and a really good mission sermon. Um, but I, I didn't choose any of those. I chose the one right afterwards. I chose the calming of the storm. And the reason I did that was purposeful because Jesus is setting this vision for his disciples, saying this is what we're going to be about. We're going to be fearless. We're going to share our faith. We're going to tell other people about you and about uh, forgiveness of sins. This is what we're going to be about. But I'm not sure that the disciples, that it had really been driven home to them yet. In fact, I would say this, that they really hadn't been tested in any form or fashion. And Jesus knew what was coming, right? So we get these wonderful tone-setting illustrations for his disciples. And then we get our text that we consider here today, calming the storm. Let me just read for you the very first verses of, of that text. It says, that day when evening came, he said to his disciples, so this is the evening of all those wonderful stories that he had just laid out for them. When evening came, he said to his disciples, let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd behind, they took him along just as he was in the boat. There were also other boats with him. A furious squall came up and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. The disciples woke him and said to him, Teacher, teacher, don't you care if we drown? I'm just going to pause there for a minute. So here it was. He'd been doing all these wonderful things, all these amazing things. They had dedicated their lives to him. He was their rabbi, right? And Yet here's their statement to him when they run into some turbulence on the Sea of Galilee. Teacher, don't you care if we drown? Have any of you ever said that to your God above? No one wants to raise their hand during this. This is the part where no one, everybody's like, I'm not raising my hand, right? I got some eyebrows that went up, so. The truth is, we, I think we all have. I, I have, right? Teacher, don't you care if we, like, God, don't you care that I'm drowning here now? that I need help, right? And I think the truth is each one of us, if we're honest with ourselves, have said that to our God in one way, shape, or another, right? When our lives change unexpectedly, when we lose a job, no expectation of having a job into the future, don't you care? I'm drowning financially. When we have the weight of the world and responsibilities on our shoulders, maybe we have a job and yet the weight of those responsibilities are so incredibly heavy that we feel as though the water is rising right up to the bottom of our mouths. Don't you care if we drown? Maybe we're in a bad relationship, boyfriend, girlfriend, husband, wife, in-laws, right? And this relationship is just tearing us apart, hard to sleep, day by day. God, don't you, don't you care? If I'm drowning, maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe you've lost somebody very near and dear to you. Where the grief is so overwhelming that all you can think or say to your God is, I'm drowning. Right? 
the truth is, I, I don't know that we're that much different than any of these disciples at this time. They were scared. Uh, they wanted help. They reached out for help to their Lord. They didn't know what was coming next, and that was in a real physical way on the Sea of Galilee. But Jesus was also teaching them a lesson about what the future of their ministry and their lives as Christians was going to be like. See, they weren't always going to be able to see every single step. The map was not always going to be laid out for them perfectly so they knew exactly where they were going. And yet Jesus' point to them was, I'm going with you. So the answer to that question, teacher, don't you care if we drown? If you ask that of your Lord, I'm going to let your Lord answer that question for you. Continue with our text. Jesus got up, he rebuked the wind, and he said to the waves, Quiet, be still. Then the wind died down and it was completely calm. He turns to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? They were terrified and asked each other, Who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. So there's your answer. Does your God care if you're drowning? The answer is yes. More than you can know. Yes. He cared that his disciples were drowning enough that he woke up and he said to the wind and the waves, enough. Enough. Jesus does the same for you. He absolutely cares when you feel that you're drowning. And his declarative answer to you was his outstretched arms on a cross at Calvary. If, we want, if you want to know how much your Lord cares about you, how much your God above cares about you, then we need look no further than Jesus Christ. We need look no further than God himself inserting him into our world that is desperate, that is broken, that suffers into a world of people that all scream, we feel like we're drowning. Christ inserted himself into our history, into your lives for a reason. To save you, to wash your sins away, to remind you that no matter how rough your life may get, no matter how difficult it is, no matter how unknown your very next step may be, your eternal life is secure because of what he has done for you on the cross, because he inserted himself into your lives and into our world to take you to heaven. Now, he did that same thing for his disciples in a very physical way. He said, enough with the waves and the wind. I'm your savior. Now, in This is just an aside, but I think it's kind of a neat one. It shows Jesus' humanity and divinity both at the same time, right? Because what was he doing in the stern? He was asleep. He was asleep. He was tired. He had been preaching all day long, right? Um, But then he gets up, and his divinity is shown when he says, enough with the wind and the waves. He was exactly who we needed, right? Christ cares when we're drowning, and he's ultimately washed us clean, taken our sins away, and given us that view of eternal life. Now, sometimes that becomes even a little difficult, I think, for us, because until we get to heaven, we still are living our lives here on earth, aren't we? And the steps are sometimes uncertain. That map may look like as though there are dragons and scorpions all over the place. Uh, So sailors were a pretty superstitious bunch, and I shouldn't speak for sailors, because maybe they still are, I don't know. Um, but they were, and remember, most of the disciples were sailors, so they maybe were a little superstitious, too, before they met Jesus. Um, but sailors would often, when they were sailing into the unknown, they would carve out for themselves figureheads, right? Um, so not a, 
Mercedes symbol on the front of your car, but this is the first one. This is a dragon, right? Because if you're going into the unknown, if you're going into things that may be very dangerous, then you've got to have something really fierce to lead you into that, right? So this is the, this is the uh, bow of a ship. That's a big dragon, if you can see that one. Uh, this next one's got a, a nice gold warrior, right? That sounds like something that should lead you into the, into the unknown, kind of like that one. Uh, this one, this is a Pegasus, I guess, pretty fierce, leading you into the unknown. I don't know. Some of you are a little skeptical on the Pegasus one. This is unicorn. Oh, yeah, unicorn, not Pegasus. That's right. Sorry. <laughs> Very nice. You're much more fierce. Actually, I, yeah, I think Pegasus and unicorns were about equal for fierceness. So, This is the other side of that one. That's a lion. That, maybe that'd be good. Take you into the unknown, right? A lion. Um, and then the, this last one is my favorite one. If you can see it, it's literally a mermaid riding a seahorse. So, I don't know. Somebody along the way said, this is what's going to take us into the new world. A mermaid and a seahorse. So, uh, so, so that was it. Now, sailors would carve out these figureheads to lead them into areas that they, they didn't know. But the point is for us and for you, brothers and sisters, is that you have someone that leads you into your life and into eternity. Jesus Christ. He's the same one that was with the disciples on that boat that calmed the storm and that would be with them throughout their entire ministry, right? Christ walks with you as well. When you feel like you're drowning, when you feel like you're lost, when you're not sure what the next step is, Christ walks with you. He is your figurehead. He is the one that is in the boat with you from here until he takes you home someday. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? That's a wonderful message, isn't it? In fact, knowing the end result helps us even in the here and now, doesn't it? Even though we don't see all the steps to that point, we know Christ, you know Christ is going to be with you all the way. Now, <clears throat> I, I think that that's the heart of mission work and for, of us as we share our faith, and I think Jesus did it on purpose. When he gave them those four illustrations, he said, this is what we're going to be about but possibly in his mind he thought, but they don't really get it yet, but they're going to get it tonight when I calm the storm, and they're going to get it when I willingly lay down my life on the cross for them. They're going to get it because they're going to take that message of sins forgiven into a world, into uh, Israel, Mediterranean, and someday even to a city called Castle Rock at a church called Eternal Rock, right? They got it. Jesus set the tone for everything that would be to come. And I pray that, that, that maybe we understand that as well. Because um, sharing our faith is not always easy, whether that's in a formal way or individual relationships, right? And I can't tell you what, uh, what is to come when you share your faith, when you let your light shine. But I can tell you that your Savior's with you. I can tell you that he's in the boat with you as you do that. And I can tell you that you're not alone because as you look around, Everybody has similar fears, right? So that's, that's, how we go, that's how we move forward, rather, with our Lord and Savior. Uh, go ye into all the world. That might be the King James version of that, right? So, uh, but ultimately, that's the heart and soul of not only who we are as Christians, but as a church. Um, I don't know what plans God has for us up in Carbon Valley. Uh, my prayer is that in three years' time, I can look out at a congregation just like you, and be able to deliver God's word to them, right? But I don't know that, right? But I know that God's going to be with me. I don't know what 
your life has planned for you next, but I know Christ will be with you. Someday, as we journey through the storms, over the ocean, sooner or later we come to eternity and come to our Savior um, for that blessed reunion. Amen.